Hello and welcome to Pain Speak, the podcast it doesn't hurt to listen to. Your host, Dr. Deepak Ravindram, has over 20 years of experience treating patients with acute and persistent pain and has been an NHS consultant for more than 10 years. He is a fellow of the Faculty of Pain Medicine at the Royal College of Anaesthetists and holds qualifications in both musculoskeletal and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Ravindran is currently the clinical lead for pain medicine at the Royal Berkshire Hospital. The doctor will see you now. Welcome to this episode of the Pain Speak podcast. And in this season here, we're going to be looking at long COVID. I'm the lead for the Berkshire Long COVID Integrated Service. And I thought it would be a good idea to get all my team members to talk about their roles and how they've been helping our patients with long COVID. And today I've got uh, on this episode, my occupational therapist colleague, Taryn Ashworth. She's been with us in the Royal Berkshire Hospital for many years. Thank you, Taryn, for coming on to the show today. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, So Taryn, do you want to tell us uh, what is your role and uh, what do you do and how long have you been at the Royal Barks? So I've been at the Royal Barks since 2018. So it'll be three years this year. Um, initially, I started off um, on a rotational pay- a post. And then that led to me being on the respiratory wards last year since January. So January 2020. I have worked on the respiratory wards since then. So we had our first influx of COVID patients in March. Um, so with that, I started treating COVID patients, often treating patients that have had prolonged ICU stays and long hospital stays. So this really just developed my understanding of COVID and the, some of the symptoms that come with it, um, which has allowed me to then take on further opportunities like the long COVID service and clinic. I... I'm currently in a secondment position as a specialist respiratory OT. And with that, I've also helped and assisted with the delivery of three post-COVID rehabilitation programs and pulmonary rehabilitation. Um, and then as well as obviously taking on the long COVID integrated service um, role in sick. So as an OT, um, what a lot of my role on the wards involves is holistically assessing our patients, delivering and developing a therapy reablement plan and facilitating a, re- a safe discharge. Occupational therapy in general is a really diverse role and we can work in a number of settings, in community settings, um, in quite generic roles as well and in charities. Um, for myself, I really enjoy working in an inpatient acute hospital I love the sort of hustle and bustle of it. And my role on the wards includes that sort of that assessment and prioritizing the patients at the at the center of our care, um, assessing them physically, cognitively, and in regard to their mental health and encouraging their independence with all of their activities of daily living, especially their meaningful activities. The key role of OT often in the NHS during winter pressures and winter months is to facilitate patient discharges and maintain that flow in the hospital. So a lot of our assessment involves assessing someone's safety for home 
and whether or not they need any further rehab or care from our social services colleagues or whether they need to go to a community hospital, those sort of things. So my role is sort of changing over the past year, but I have definitely enjoyed the sort of diversity of, of how that role's going. Well, that, thank you so much for the chat. And it's been really great having you on the team. And, uh, you know, from the pain service that I normally lead there, we've always known that occupational therapy has been quite important for pain. However, I've always noted that there are not that many occupational therapists interested or rather working within a pain service commonly in the UK. I don't know the reasons for that per se, but I really was very impressed with what the Royal College of Occupational Therapists, how they have led from the front in terms of long COVID, in terms of, as you said, the reablement. And and you have a very specialist role, respiratory occupational therapist, in terms of what you do inpatient-wise. What do you feel has been or where do you think is the importance of occupational therapy, especially for long COVID patients? So my role in the long COVID service um, involves completing those multidisciplinary assessments with other members of our team and um, helping triage our referrals, making sure that patients are you know, seen by the correct services, whether they need onward referrals as well. And then when it comes down to actually seeing our patients, I will often complete the other joint assessments, but then sometimes seeing patients one-on-one, um, either as their first contact or as follow-up appointments, if patients need some assistance with their symptoms, especially with fatigue. So a lot of my role revolves around managing fatigue and, and giving that advice and education on fatigue to patients as long COVID, unfortunately, um, leads to people having a really severe level of fatigue. And that can be really debilitating and lead into repercussions for other activities of their day such as in not being able to return to work and not be able to carry out their usual roles, like being a family member and a mother or a father or a friend. Um, so really encouraging that education around sort of how to get back to their sort of baseline, their normal normal life, um, as well as advising on sort of mental well-being, on sleep hygiene, the management of some respiratory symptoms as well, such as their shortness of breath, um, and sort of chest pain or uncomfortable um, breathing, so how to sort of manage those those symptoms um, that that tend to affect their day. So I think my sort of role evolves a lot in, at the moment in that sort of assessment stage, but then onwards signposting to other services or um, articles, websites, education pieces that then might help them help them further as well as just really equipping people with their own strategies to manage their condition because I think it's really important that people especially with long COVID take control of their condition and look to manage it themselves so they need to build those strategies and have a toolbox essentially of strategies to manage. That's really useful Taryn. I mean you talked about how uh, common fatigue is. Do you have any data or, uh, or on how fatigue and how prevalent it is in long COVID patients? So informally, I would say that fatigue is one of the top three symptoms that we see in our individuals that we're assessing in a bliss clinic. Um, it's definitely a symptom that seems to negatively affect people's ability to, 
um, participate in those activities of their day. Um, some of the data we've had come back from our, our clinic shows that our initial sort of 120 referrals that we received, about 95% of those patients struggled with fatigue. So fatigue is a really high level of what we're seeing people come through with um, because, it, like I said, it can be that really debilitating and unfortunately impact many aspects of someone's life. Um, in February of this year, so 2021, the Office of National Statistics published an update on long COVID article, which included sort of the prevalence of long COVID. The sample size was just over 9,000 people and 22.1% of the respondents reported still having at least one symptom from COVID five weeks post their initial onset. And at this five weeks, in 12.7% of people, fatigue was the highest and the most common symptom. So it it is definitely um, something that, and like I say, affects someone's someone's um, health and someone's ability to engage and their, their mental health. That's really useful data there. So with Fatigue being such a predominant feature and, and certainly from my experience as well in the service, that has been the theme that they are not able to engage or go back to work because of the persistent fatigue. What would a, a kind of typical consultation with you look like if a patient, let's say named Linda, 45-year-old, and she's been referred to our service significant fatigue alongside other symptoms, what would her consultation with you look like? The consultation with me, especially if it's done one-to-one, will often look like discussing a bit about her normal, sort of normal activities, what she likes to do, her hobbies, um, what roles she has, is she working? You know, at 45, she most likely is probably working, um, potentially normally a full-time job. Um you know, does she have kids? What what roles are in her life? Um, and then taking that into consideration, understanding a little bit more about how fatigue affects her. So does she have any triggers for her fatigue? Can she feel that um, on if she is going back to work on reduced hours, can she feel that on those days the fatigue really hits her? Um, understanding how the body makes her, how the fatigue makes her body feel. So does it um, make her feel like she's got less concentration, less ability to concentrate, a bit of that sort of brain fog that that people often are calling it, difficulties sometimes with short-term memory. So does it cause that or is it more of a physical fatigue and that, that sort of whole body fatigue? So understanding the sort of how it presents in her, also getting a bit of an understanding of how the people develop their own strategies to manage this. Often, unfortunately, especially since the Bliss Our Long COVID service has been set up, you know, almost sort of we've been running for a few months, but almost a year later since the first wave. So a lot of these patients have had these ongoing fatigue symptoms since March last year, if that was their initial onset. So they would have developed their own strategies to manage this. So discussing these strategies, have you found anything to be useful? Are you pacing yourself? Are you managing you know, managing your fatigue levels in a certain way and how that's working out for you? Often our patients fall into a, sort of a cycle called boom and bust. So this is when patients wake up feeling good because often with long COVID, we see that these 
symptoms are quite um, relapsing and remitting, so they sort of fluctuate. So Linda might wake up on a good day and say, oh, I feel like I've got loads of energy and just do everything, do everything that she's not been able to do for the last few weeks. You know, do the washing, take the dogs out for a walk, go to work, do almost a full day. But then that can lead sometimes to having a few days of a crash, so what we call that bust cycle. So then it leads her for three days not being able to do much at all, only barely, you know, doing the necessary things like get up, go to the bathroom, all of that. So trying to figure out where that boom and bust cycle is, if if the patient, if Linda's still in one of those cycles, and how we can flatten that curve, so how we can make it a bit more steady of what she's able to do. What we aim for is that someone on a good day and a bad day is able to do a similar amount. So we really need to try and regulate those feelings in the body, try and show the body that actually, even though I'm feeling quite tired today, I will do the bare minimum of, of what sort of I've set out to do, even if that's sort of a 10-minute walk a day. So really scaling it back. Um, it doesn't have to be a huge amount, really, trying to encourage people to, to take a step back. And often people are quite motivated to you know get back into the high level of activity that they were doing. But actually, long COVID does take time. There's no quick fix. There isn't, you know, a quick pill that we can take. And there's no quick thing that I can say to anyone that will magically take all their symptoms away. So it's just about giving those strategies for them to manage themselves and that it does take time. So prioritizing their sleep is really important to help with that, that fatigue, those fatigue levels. Using things like, um, so lots of education in our uh, sessions. So if I'm giving a one-to-one session, educating people on how fatigue affects our body, the types of fatigue we get, such as physical fatigue, cognitive fatigue, and emotional fatigue, and how we need to try and switch between the activities that we're doing. So do something a bit physical, then have a rest, and then something a bit more cognitive. Um, And maybe using a weekly planner to plan for the week ahead so you can share out activities. If you know that you're coming into a hospital on Wednesday because you've got a face-to-face appointment, maybe having a bit more of a relaxed morning until that point happens so that you've reserved some of your energy levels. Um, And just really being able to create a bit more sort of a routine in people's lives. That is that is very very useful, Taryn. I think you've outlined that very well in in kind of differentiating between the forms of fatigue, making sure that uh, people have an overview, let's say, of the week ahead, and that way they can plan how to switch between each of these points so that you can do a minimum amount every day. That that is really useful in terms of what somebody like Linda with fatigue would get from the consultation. Um, how? often would you then need to follow up? You're absolutely right when you say that it's very unpredictable right now with long COVID to know how much time it would take. But on an average, uh, to make this a routine, what is your experience of how long it can take and and what kind of help would someone need to make it routine? So at the moment, what we are doing is, so if someone in the multidisciplinary team assessment shows signs of fatigue, then I often um, will see them within potentially a few weeks um, as a, on a one-to-one. In that, we'll go a bit more into depth on those areas that I discussed. 
um, and provide them with a bit of that more information. We also have some other treatment sort of options for people in our service um, that they might be appropriate to refer on to, such as the Your COVID Recovery application, which offers also some of that those education points that, that I discussed and it helps someone um, make a sort of personalized um, program on, on a self-management program on, on how to get, um, manage their symptoms. What also, if someone does need another follow-up, then then we can sort of set some goals in that first session and say I can check in with them in sort of maybe four weeks' time um, to see how they're getting on with, with those points, if, if they feel like things are improving. Um, with, with long COVID, we are seeing people improve, and often people are improving by the time that we get to see them. Or sort of shortly after, I think our service offers a lot of that recognition that someone needs of the fact that long COVID is understood now. Unfortunately, a few months ago, it wasn't as well understood and it wasn't as well recognized. Um, and I think there was sort of a quite a harsh sort of mindset on, well, actually, a lot of people that have these long long COVID symptoms weren't maybe as acutely unwell and sometimes didn't require hospital admission or not for long periods. So I think people didn't really understand the condition and didn't really sort of see see what we, we were sort of seeing in these patients and, and see how debilitating it can be. So I think our, our service really offers that recognition for these symptoms, um, which is really important. So sometimes I can, yeah, I can do a few weekly sort of follow-up after after a few weeks of giving people those, those tools and then often also sometimes we'll discharge them from the service um, but give them sort of the ability to come back in should they they need further support after putting these strategies into place themselves. You did mention about the tools and I probably you talked about it in earlier in one of the questions that I asked there, but can you uh, reiterate or repeat the most three or five most common tools or resources that you would signpost your patients to and, and right now the listeners there, what can they do even before they've come to the service to get a a sort of a jump start, if you will, on understanding pacing. What are the resources you would signpost right now? So a lot of our um, resources that I would recommend, um, I think education is really key with understanding sort of long COVID and understanding someone's um, symptoms. Often we find when someone's a bit more educated on their symptoms, then that um, helps them sort of progress. So the Your COVID Recovery website um, offers some um, like information packs on specific symptoms um, and abilities for people to sort of access it depending on what they feel. So, you know, someone might feel shortness of breath, whereas another person might suffer more from pain. So they can access what areas they, they feel is necessary. But your COVID recovery also has an application. So... NHS services, some have opted in. Our trust has opted in to the Your COVID Recovery application um, and it's being approved shortly. Hopefully by the time this is out, it will have been all set up and going fully and patients will be accessing it. But this also, like I said, offers that ability for patients to create some personalized goals based on what their main symptoms are. So they identify about three main symptoms that they feel they want to work on and it comes up with some goals and also then creates sort of a bit of a program of how 
for them to to get better. It um, creates some sort of exercise program and sort of activity program, as well as then having lots of education resources and tools that can come up. Um, the Royal College of Occupational Therapy has been really good with their um, signposting and sort of their documents that have been released from COVID. Um, they have a really helpful resource that is on post-viral fatigue and pacing strategies. So it's a really easy read, um, nicely set out program, uh, like a document on how someone can incorporate pacing strategies into their life to manage their fatigue levels. The Royal College of OT also released for professionals um, a providing rehab to patients following COVID document, which is a really nice and depth way of um, structuring it, sort of how to provide rehab to patients in the hospital, in the community settings, um, and sort of in, in different tiers of, of our involvement. The World Health Organization also has a self-management after COVID booklet that someone can sort of work through. On top of these sort of resources, I really recommend patients engaging in sort of these mind and body activities, things like relaxation and meditation. There's many apps out there like Headspace and Calm that are, you know, they were being used before COVID, but they've actually proven very useful um, for a time time like this, especially when people's mental health might be tested and tried during this pandemic. Um, our resilience is definitely a bit lower because we're not able to engage in some of those coping strategies. So using these um, mind-body activities is a really good way to manage someone's mental well-being as well as fatigue because at the end of the day, mental well-being and fatigue and all of these things are linked because it's all, it's all one person. So it's really important to understand how everything links in with with another physical and cognitive and emotional it's all it's all for one person really good Taryn. that is very comprehensive and and just to repeat again the main three resources as you said one is of course the your covid recovery website and then the royal college of occupational therapy resources both from last year and then earlier this year which is applicable to both community as well as primary and secondary care settings so uh, for those who want to check it out, please do uh, check out these resources there uh, before referring your patients into our service. Um, finally, Taryn, sort of bringing up Lars there, right now from your role as an occupational therapist within the Berkshire Long COVID Service, uh, apart from the assessments and uh, the treatments that you talked about, is there anything else that you're looking forward to within the service to provide and and Kind of what are your takeaways from being with the service? Really looking forward to the your COVID recovery application being set up and sort of being being used. On that, there is the ability to sort of ask a healthcare professional, um, and we've got some of our therapists in the team set up to be that professional for um, for the people that access it within our area, and um, so that we'll be able to enable us to provide ongoing support for people should they have questions that come up and that sort of support that's needed. We're hoping to um, get sort of a group management program set up um, and that might either be between us or, or the community setting, but it's for people that might need a bit more of a hands-on approach to their recovery. 
but for myself, my sort of personal takeaways are obviously working in an outpatient setting is quite different for me. I'm used to the wards and um, that sort of hustle and bustle. So it's been definitely a, a big learning curve on for myself and um, enabled me to really increase my my knowledge and sort of you know look to to reading lots of other resources and and um, further further myself there. And um, it was obviously a really big pleasure working with yourself. Deepak, as you know, you are really knowledgeable, and I feel like I'm learning a lot from from the service as well as then with Harriet, the physiotherapist. Her and I have been working quite closely together. Um, she's obviously been she's really specialist, and she is familiar to outpatient settings. So her advice and her um, ability to sort of you know, ask to do joint working has has really um, enabled me to to sort of increase my role. And I think it's really important, like you say, that. Unfortunately, OT doesn't often have much of a standing in outpatient settings. And I think that's why it's really important that we show the need for occupational therapists in these settings, in patients with ongoing symptoms, with, you know, like you said, with pain, with chronic chronic symptoms that um, are debilitating. Because I think a lot of our OT um, resources are focused more on sort of in the hospital and, and inpatient. So it's, it's really important to increase that awareness of what OT is because I think a lot of people don't know what OT is um, and people that do think we're still basket weavers, which we most definitely are not. Um, so I think increasing that, that sort of presence of OT is really important. Uh, that is absolutely. No, no, I do not know where the origin of the basket weaving thing came from, but I will definitely say that has been really uh, wonderful having you as part of the service and uh, you make a very strong and compelling case for more occupational therapy involvement in other chronic long-term condition management, both in primary and outpatient care, Taryn. So it's once again great to have you on this episode, once great to have you as part of our service. So thank you for coming on and talking about your role. Thank you so much for having me and um, I've definitely enjoyed it and I can't wait to listen back to this. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it from me. For this episode of the Pain Speak podcast. I hope you found this episode useful and furthered your understanding. This is your host, Dr. Deepak Ravindran, signing off now. All episodes of the Pain Speak podcast are available to download and listen to on major podcasting platforms. I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Till then, stay safe and good day and goodbye.